Turn with me this morning to uh, Psalm 20. This is our Psalm of the Month. Uh, Next week, if you want to read ahead, we'll be back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 43 and following is is where we've come to. But again, this is our our Psalm of the Month. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church. Uh, Some of the members evidently thought they were pretty special because they were speaking in tongues, and Paul points out they don't know what they're saying. No one else knows what they're saying. And um, he's not denying that it's a gift of the Spirit. He says it's great to be moved by the Spirit, but there's no benefit in praying or singing uh, if you're doing so without your mind, without your understanding as well. And so Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 14, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind or with understanding. And the, the psalms and singing are a large part of our worship, and, and I like to preach occasionally from the Psalms because of that, because it's God's word, and we, we're pointed to Christ and his gospel, but also um, just that we would increasingly sing with the understanding, uh, with full understanding of, of what we're singing, that we'd appreciate the depth of the Psalms and uh, the ways they point us to Christ. So here, as I read God's word, Psalm 20, this is a Psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he remember all your meal offerings and your burnt offerings, uh, find your burnt offerings acceptable. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your victory, and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Lord. May the king answer us the day we call. Many years ago, Carly Simon sang, You're so vain, you probably think this song is about you. You're so vain, I bet you think this song is about you, don't you? Uh, well, I will confess I was guilty of singing, reading this psalm uh, that way for many years, as if it was about me, uh, to me. And on a cursory reading, the, the psalm does sound like it's perhaps dra- addressed to the people of God. Um, it, it sounds like maybe a comforting blessing that we might sing to each other as it begins. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble, or may he send you help. Um, or something that we, we'd write on a greeting card. Uh, I've seen uh, on, a, on a graduation plaque, verse 4 here, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans, as it read there. Uh, but I, I had, when I came to study this psalm uh, a number of years ago, I uh, had my bubble burst. Um, it's very evidently not at all about me, not about you. Um, in our fallen nature, we do have a tendency uh, to read the scriptures in a, in a somewhat self-centered way at times, to quickly um, thinking of them directed simply at us. Um, but we easily miss the depth of God's word when we uh, treat it that way, or when we treat the scriptures as a collection of sayings, a collection of things we might write on greeting cards. Uh, and we miss um, 
those that God was originally speaking to, the original audience or the context of a passage or the context of the entire Bible. And, and being aware of that bigger picture, the context of the whole scripture, God's whole history of redemption in Christ, um, we can take away and, and learn even richer truths and encouragements. So that's, that's my hope with Psalm 20 this morning, that we would see that it's a psalm not, not to or about you or me, but a psalm from the people of God to and about the king. It's a psalm about the king. We, we read in Psalm in, in verse 6 here, I know the Lord saves his anointed. That's the king. Um, he will answer him. Psalm 21, I'll mention in a moment, goes with Psalm 20. It's all about the king answering, or God answering the king. And as we, the church, continue to sing this psalm today, it's a song from you and me to and about King Jesus. Uh, trusting God to save us through our King Jesus. So let's see how that's true. I want you to consider first just the, the likely setting of this psalm. What, what gave rise to this prayer? Uh, probably it seems pictures a king and, and the city or the whole nation preparing for a battle. Uh, verse 1 speaks of the day of trouble and praying that God would set this king on, uh, securely on high. That's idiomatic just for, for protecting the king. The NIV reads... May he protect you. Um, this could be any kind of trouble, but verse 5 speaks of banners. These were tools of war, much like in, in more modern history, a flag operates as a rallying point in, in war, in battle. Um, it anticipates victory there in verse 5. Verse 7 speaks of chariots and horses. So it's evidently the, the setting, the anticipation of a battle. And then uh, Psalm 21, as I said, uh, traditionally, and, and most scholars agree, goes with Psalm 20. Whether they were once one psalm uh, or they've just written as a pair, um, Psalm 20 is the prayer for protection for the king as he prepares, and Psalm 21 is clearly a response, a thanks for the answered prayer, um, for what happened, and it's also all about the king. Verse 1, it begins, O Lord, in your, in your strength the king will be glad. Um, verse 2, you have given him his heart's desire. So Psalm 20 prayed for his heart's desire, and then Psalm 21, thank you, you've, you've given him that. Uh, verse 4, he asked life of you. You gave it to him. And, and then the rest of the psalm is about God giving victory to uh, the king and defeating his enemies. And so Psalm 20 is likely about a king who's going to ride out. He's going to lead his people against an invader. And it gives evidence that he's, the king is offering um, prayers. He's offering sacrifices. He's laying plans for what's to come. Uh, and these are the things that people pray about. So let's, let's consider, secondly, the, the prayer, the petition for this King. I want to just walk through the first several verses here and, and see what's prayed. Again, verse 1, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. That's, may the Lord hear you and, and respond to you as you face this enemy. Um, may the name of God, the God of Jacob, set you securely on high. The, the name of God is, is really God himself. It's, it's God as he's revealed himself. And, and he puts his name on his people. Uh, the scriptures say as well, as, as the one who defends and cares and makes promises to his people. And there are a number of examples of that in the scriptures. One is in uh, Numbers chapter 6 where we have the Aaronic blessing. May the Lord, Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you and so on. That we use in our worship uh, sometimes. The next verse says, so shall they, the priests, put my name on the people of Israel and I will bless them. So this is... 
This is the God who is, the one who blesses and keeps and protects his people. It's a prayer that God would do that. Verse 2, may he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. The sanctuary is the temple. Zion is where the temple is, where Jerusalem is. It's where God showed visibly that he lived with his people. If you were there at the temple, you, you ought to be particularly conscious of, of God in his presence. So this is a prayer that, the, that God would be with the king as he goes out to battle. Um, one commentator uh, puts it this way, he is envisioned not as a remote God, but one who is near. The sense is, may, may God be with you, um, as if you were standing there in, in the temple. Verse 3, may he remember your meal offerings and, and find your burnt offerings acceptable. This is a prayer that God would accept the king, count him as, as righteous, as his child. Um, in the Old Testament, the kings would, uh, we read, sometimes offer sacrifices before they go into battle. Um, as part of petitioning the Lord before a battle or making a big decision or something like that. And then verse 4, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. Uh, or that is, uh, fill up or accomplish or complete all, all of your plans. Uh, everything that you're, you're planning, your purposes. Um, the NIV has, may, may the Lord make all your plans succeed. And so here's a, a prayer for the king, that God would hear him and accept his, his sacrifices, his prayers, that he would love him and accept him as his anointed king, his son, and that he would uh, bless his plans. He would give him victory in this battle that's coming. I want to ask then, and secondly, why, and number three in your outline, why this prayer? Why all this focus on this king then? Why do we have a psalm all about the king? Verse 5 um, and the NAS here reads as an anticipation of what's going to happen. I think the ESV reads a little, gives the, the sense a little better as, as just continuing the prayer, uh, saying, may we shout for joy over your salvation. And, and the you is the king there, uh, your victory. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. There, there's this intimate connection, this psalm, between the, the victory of the king, what happens to the king, and the people, and their joy and their celebration. Um, the king's victory means their deliverance and their victory. Uh, verses 6 and 7 also, the, the saving of the Lord's king leads to the congregation, the ones singing, boasting in God's salvation. His salvation is theirs. And the, the point is, as the king goes, so the people go. Whatever happens to the king affects the people and, and the nation. Uh, Derek Kidner comments, on this psalm, in this one man, the whole people see themselves embodied and their life sustained. There's a sense in which their, their life is in this king. We find that throughout the Old Testament, in, in negative examples, positive examples, there's, in, in Lamentations 4 is a negative example. Jeremiah is lamenting uh, about the king. He calls the king the breath of our nostrils. It points to the significance of the king for their, their life. He says, the breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured. He goes on to lament this and all that's come to happen to the nation because of that. Uh, 2 Samuel 21, uh, a positive example, David is called the lamp of Israel. The significance of David is giving light figuratively, blessing and truth and safety to the people under him. And So in the Old Testament, the people of God were, were blessed through the obedience, the favor of God on the king. Um, and, and the opposite was true as well. So even uh, David... Uh, under David, the people of God experienced uh, a lot of prosperity and, and good times and peace. 
Um, but even under David, there was a time he took that census um, in disobedience to God and pride, and the nation suffered because of it. Uh, Solomon, his son, there was, there was a time of great prosperity because of the king and Solomon looking to the Lord. And then Solomon began to turn away from the Lord and the nation was divided. And there was civil war and there was suffering in the nation. And there are many other examples, some good kings, mostly bad kings, um, all culminating in the exile, though, and uh, the end of the kings of Israel forever, even till today. It's sort of like the, the relationship here is, is sort of like the relationship between uh, passengers and a pilot in a plane, right? The, much depends on the pilot. If he makes good plans, if he stays sober and awake and, and makes good decisions and, and he arrives safely, well, that means the passengers are successful in their flight as well. They arrive safely. And, and the opposite is true. Um, God has promised to be the God of the king if the king served him. And the, as the king went, so the people went. Uh, he served as their leader, their, their representative in the name of God. So uh, that's why we have this, this psalm as a prayer for the king. Why this emphasis on the king? I want to ask then, finally, why, why do we sing this psalm or how do we sing this psalm? Uh, what, what does it mean for us? Is this just about some king a thousand years ago, thousands of years ago? Um, does it have relevance to us? So looking at number four in your outline. We need to remember some things about how the Psalms work, uh, what they are. So uh, David Wright wrote a, uh, you know, the bulk of the Psalms. The, the kings, Solomon wrote some, the kings of Israel were the ones who wrote the Psalms and those who worked for them. So all of the Psalms, except Psalm 90, which is written by Moses, uh, a king of sorts uh, in, in his role. Um, but the kings of Israel, or those they appointed, Asaph and sons of Korah, um, wrote the psalms for God's people as part of their office. They were the song leaders of God's people, uh, writing inspired songs for them to sing. They give words to the people to worship. Uh, sometimes it's the words of the king to the people. That's the, the voice in the psalm. Uh, sometimes it's the words of the people to God. That's, that's many of the psalms. Um, sometimes it's the words of the king to God. Uh, it's, it's an I, and, and it's the king. Many of the psalms are about the king. Psalm 21, 63, 72, 110. And some of the psalms are to the king. So this psalm is maybe one of the best examples. Psalm 45, part of that psalm is addressing the king of Israel. But the only king who would finally and fully and forever fulfill what it meant to be king over God's people is King Jesus. He's the only one that's going to have full and final victory that's described in this psalm and in many other psalms about the king. So not only do we find many of the psalms are prophetic of Jesus, the New Testament seems, as it quotes the Psalter all over and over again, seems to treat the entire Psalter as if it's about Jesus uh, the writers quote freely and, and frequently from it, sometimes as the very words of Jesus. The, the New Testament writer will say, as Jesus said, and then quotes the words of David, um, because he was speaking prophetically of, of Christ. And so, while there, this psalm was originally written in the context of David, probably some battle that David faced, it's ultimately prophetic of, it's typological of King Jesus, the Messiah, right? the anointed. The, the word Messiah is here in verse 6. And so it's a psalm about and to 
uh, ultimately, as we sing it, the Messiah, to King Jesus, who only can fulfill it perfectly. He's, he's the one who will have full and final victory as the anointed, as the Messiah, verse 6. And so verse, or the, the Old Testament people's relation and dependence in praying for the king is, is an example of the, the full and complete salvation through the future Messiah. And so verses 6 and 7 become, for example, a great anthem of the church today, the New Testament church, the confidence we have in Christ. Verse 6, now I know the Lord saves his Messiah. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord, our God. The Lord saves his Messiah. God saving David or Solomon as a Messiah, uh, an anointed, was an anticipation of his plan to ultimately save through the Messiah. And we read of that in, in many other psalms, Psalm 2 and 18 and 72. And some of those are even clearer. They say things about the king, Psalm 72, ruling the entire world forever and receiving its worship. It, it can only ultimately be about Christ. The Israelites sang this in anticipation of God's faithfulness in, in sending this Messiah and hearing and answering his prayers and, and prospering his purposes and his plans. So we sing this psalm in, in part looking back, right, remembering uh, God's faithfulness through Jesus, through his incarnation, through his ministry, as he cried out to the Father for, for help and, and guidance, uh, through his preaching of the gospel, through his suffering on the cross and, and not leaving him on the cross. We also sing it today, praying that the Father would continue to bless the plans of Jesus, Right? Give him success and victory in advancing the gospel and uh, gathering his church and uh, driving back evil. We sing it looking forward to the completion of Messiah's war on sin and evil. His, his consummation of his plans to judge and to fill the earth with nothing but the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what Jesus is doing. But again, even now, we, we can say in a, in a real sense, the prayers of the people in, in verse 5 in this psalm are answered. Right? Lord, may we sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. Um, we celebrate the victory of King Jesus, which is our victory too. As the king goes, so we go. God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. He raised him from the dead. Uh, and that's, that's our story. Remember what was at stake for the Israelites, you know, praying for this king, going into battle. As, as he went, they would go. If he failed in battle, if he failed to seek the Lord, they would die. They would suffer. Right? Again, Derek Kidner, in this one man, the whole people see themselves embodied and their life sustained. And that's true for you uh, in a much greater sense for eternity in Christ. At Colossians 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, what's true of him is true of you. Romans 6, we were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 4 speaks of granting the desires of his heart. God, God the Father granted the desires of Jesus' heart, fulfilled his plans. He came to seek and save the lost, and he 
lost not one of those that the Father gave him. But again, he's not done, right? So we don't sing this psalm merely looking back and thinking about what God did through Jesus. He died, he rose, he paid for sins, he's reigning, the, the King of God has come in some sense, but we still live in and around sin and sadness and unbelief and death and enemies of the church. And Jesus' plan, his purpose is to reign until all his enemies are under his feet, as Psalm 110 says. He's conquered all of these things until the day when, as Revelation 21 says, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. So we sing this psalm as a prayer to that end, toward that day, toward that, that plan and purpose of King Jesus. I think particularly of the enemy of death. Right? And, and as we have, as a congregation, have experienced that enemy in a, in a particularly painful way in the last year, and others of us have uh, in, in other places, we pray for the success of the unfolding war plans of Jesus to overcome death. Uh, Paul writes about the day when, when the plans of Christ answered by the Father are completed, a day when our, our prayers for the Father to hear and answer us in our King, uh, verse 9 here are completed. He writes, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I can't wonder if, help but wonder if Paul is remembering God's promises to the kings of, of old in anticipation of real victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Psalm 20 is not about you or me, uh, it's about Jesus. It's a prayer for God's king. It's not unrelated to you or to me, though. It it has massive implications for us. You and I are united to this king. I just want to ask you, do do you ever think, though, of praying this way for your king? Do you think of praying for King Jesus? Not, Not simply to or through him as we do for ourselves, but but recognizing that that exercising the privilege of prayer for him. Advancing his plans and his grace, that that is to pray for yourself and for the church. Praying for the success of King Jesus. The Bible teaches us, as as we might think, well, of course he's going to be successful and he's God. The Bible teaches us to ask not just for what we need that's uncertain. Lord, if it's your will, grant us this, grant us that. We do that rightly. But especially to pray for what God has promised. that, That it's... It's part of the mystery of prayer that that God is pleased to bring about his plans through the means of our prayers. Though we know that King Jesus will be successful. So singing Psalm 20 is a prayer for the success of the kingdom of King Jesus. For our salvation in that kingdom. It's a prayer for the end of the kingdom of Satan. And the end of sin and death. And for the smashing of the gates of hell that Jesus promised. So let's, let's pray that way. Let's sing with that in mind.
as we sing Psalm 20 and, and all of the psalms. I want to close with a prayer, a prayer that's not mine. Um, it's from a sermon on the, the phrase, Thy kingdom come in the Lord's prayer that uh, Ligon Duncan uh, preached a number of years ago. Uh, but it's a prayer perfectly in the vein of Psalm 20. So I, I invite you to bow your heads before King Jesus and pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we are painfully aware that there are great enemies in this world set up against your rule, against your name, against your glory. Among them are the world, the flesh, and the devil. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would bring down satanic strongholds. We pray that you would prevail against the worldly system which worships the creature rather than the creator. And especially, Lord, we pray that you would win against the flesh, against our flesh. For we have seen the enemy, and it is us. O Lord, arise and conquer, that the gates of hell would not be able to prevent your victory, that your reign would be unchecked. Start with us, O Lord. Break down Satan's rule in our flesh. Enable us to resist the temptation to conform to the world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, you're the king who builds up your people. You're the one who builds the church, and we pray that you would build your church. We pray that there would be no earthly treasure or power to which we would have more allegiance than to you. We pray that your kingdom would be so established in our hearts that our hearts are utterly loyal to you and to you alone, that we would be ready to betray any earthly demands on our allegiance in order to be loyal to you, our king. I pray that everyone in this congregation would, would truly believe, would be fully submitted to you as Savior and King. I pray for every young child that they would grow in wisdom and knowledge and in stature and in love for the Lord so that they come to profess faith in him as offered in the gospel. I pray for every infant in this congregation. We pray for the day when, through the nurture and admonition of the Lord, those infants come to stand and in faith embrace you, Lord Jesus Christ, for salvation and swear allegiance to you as their king. And we pray, O oh Lord, for your conquering, converting work, not only in this congregation, but in gospel-preaching, Christ-exalting congregations all over the city. We pray that there would be conversions in this city like there have never been before. Lord, he who testifies says, yes, I am coming quickly. And so we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We live under the kingdom of grace by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we long for the kingdom of glory to come, O Lord. We long to see the fullness of your grace reigning in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And Jesus acknowledged for who he is, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we pray for your kingdom to come. And we pray that this would ever be the prayer of our hearts and that you would hear it and answer it, O King. Amen.